Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Well, good morning, family. I pray that you are doing well. Wow. Come on. This is probably the most jam-packed service I've ever seen, but I love to be in church, and it's active. It's activity. It's life. It's not dead. Isn't that good? Someone even might think, man, that's a little bit excessive, all this stuff that's going on. And I would, have you, and I would like to, for you to think about it, well, do you excessively watch TV or... Do you excessively worship football or nobody? Okay, I go went over like that, I guess. If I'm going to be excessive about anything, it's going to be Jesus. Amen. That's what it's going to be about. I'm going to go after God. That's just the way that is, you know. I think we're in the process of God really reestablishing the foundations of the Christian faith in this country and what we really need to have our priorities set on, and it's eternal values, right? We get so preoccupied with natural, carnal things that our priorities get out of order. And heaven wants to set our priorities for us in eternity, right? Eternal values, and that's one of the things I love about this church and about this pastor that you have here. That's he's willing to be a voice, amen. He's willing to establish the eternal values of the kingdom. The that's my beautiful wife back there screaming. Don't worry, it's anointed. And so I love that this church is is willing to be that voice to establish these eternal values, amen. How many of you have been with us uh, Friday night and yesterday? Wow, awesome, awesome. I have a time of repentance for the rest of you and in the service. I'm kidding, of course. I know we all have lives and jobs and things that we do. I totally understand. Well, this entire weekend, I've been really focusing on John chapter 16, and I've done three, four services now on John chapter 16. I still haven't got through two verses. You know, so, but I felt like this morning to go a different direction. Is that okay if I do that? I knew last night that we were, we were going to tap into some things last night, and, and I was so excited to hear some of the testimonies and stories this morning of people just being healed or set free or just experiencing God's joy for the first time in a long time, and that's, that's needed, isn't it? It's needed to walk in the presence of Jesus, man. Oh. I think depression is overrated, to be honest. You know, it's, it's time for the church to be delivered from depression, you know. Amen. You really have the best antidepressant medication. It's called the gospel. <laughs> Three people thought that was good. Okay. <sighs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just invite you to be with us again this morning, God. Lord, we just ask that you would open up your word to us with clarity, with understanding, that we will tap into the depths of your glory, tap into the depths of your presence in ways that we've never seen nor encountered, God. Lord, this may be the last day that I am here, but it's not the last day that you're doing something here, God. You move us from glory to glory. And God, I just thank you that all the seeds of truth that has been sown into the soil of the people here, God, that they're beginning to germinate, they're beginning to grow. And Lord, I even ask that as the weeks and the months and the years progress, Lord, that there will be a divine increase upon everything that you're doing within this region, within this church, within this family. Yeah, yeah. I'm not addressing the church. I'm just praying in the spirit. Oh, 
Father, even for myself, I ask that you would wear me like a glove this morning and minister your word through me, God. I submit my mind. I submit my heart. I submit my will to you, Lord, for you to do what you will through me. <laughs> oh, that's a dangerous prayer, family. <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You know, in light of kind of how we just concluded prior to me coming up, I really feel like the Lord wants to address some, some deeper issues and address some other things as well. Things that are within this country, things that are within society, but things that I feel like have been overlooked or misunderstood or devalued. In March of last year, there were two main themes the Lord began to minister and speak to me about. The first theme was the theme that I've had throughout this entire conference this weekend was the mission of the Spirit or the vocation of the Spirit. But the second theme was the context and understanding of family. Amen. And so I want to talk to you about family this morning. Is that okay? Amen. If there was ever one thing that's really been attacked in this country from over the decades, over the years, it is family. We're looking at a time now where family is being redefined. Family is being shaken to its core. Families are being destroyed. When, I, when the Lord began to speak to me about family, he says, you know, family is actually what holds culture together. Family is actually what, is what holds society together. And whenever family is destroyed in society, what is stripped from the culture is unity, safety, and community. What are the three areas that we're not seeing in this country very much anymore? Safety, unity, and community. Now, you may be thinking, how in the world is family going to establish those things? Well, that's exactly what the Bible talks about. As the Lord began to speak to me about this, I began to do just some studying on marriages in America. Now, these are just studies across the board, not, not aiming at one particular people group or anything like that. These are just across the board. And as I began to study statistically marriages in America, what I found was just staggering that 40 to 50% of marriages in America end in divorce. And those numbers have gone down the past two years. You know why? Because people no longer get married. The progressive people like, see, things are getting better, but no reality is people just don't even bother with going through the biblical context of what marriage is, one man and one woman. Amen. Amen. As I went to do even further study, I, began, I noticed that it was 15 to 25% of children in America grow up in a single-parent household. That means about 15 to 25% of children in America grow up with the potential of a healthy family experience. Think about this. If family is the culture or family is the context that holds society together, that means America only has about a 15% chance of a healthy culture. Now, out of that 15%, how many of those do you think is really serving the Lord and having a godly household? So we really wanted to get real and raw this morning. Probably about 5% of America has the potential of having a healthy culture. But how many of us know God has an answer? How many of us know God has already deposited an answer on this planet. Do you know who that answer is? Yes, it's Jesus, but do you know even deeper who that answer is? You. I want you to say this with me. Christ in me is the answer to the world's issues. Christ in me is the, is the answer to family. To family. 
I want you to think about this. Until you begin to view yourself as a solution, you'll never become part of the answer. See, God has divinely placed you here in this region, in this city, in this country as an answer to the dilemma this country is in. Christ in you. That's how much faith God has in you, that he has divinely placed you here to shift culture, to establish his kingdom. Why do you think the enemy has worked so hard to get the church to mimic the world to get people saved instead of establish the kingdom? You think, you hear what I'm saying? No, God has divinely placed you here filled with his spirit. That means you contain his kingdom. That means you have his values. You have his ways. You have his attributes. You have his nature. You have everything that he is. But 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, when the one who has joined himself to the Lord has become one spirit with him. Do you realize in your spirit right now, you're just as holy and righteous and pure as Jesus is. You don't have a a junior Holy Spirit. You don't have an immature Holy Spirit. You have a full-grown, mature God dwelling on inside of you. Wow. What if you realized you were the answer to the prayer you've been praying for many years? Did you hear what I just said? It's hard to get an answer to a prayer when you already have it. So let me suggest something to you. If you've been praying about something for years upon years and you haven't supposedly have seen the answer to it, it may be a revelation that you already have that answer. You just need to discover what you already have in Christ rather than getting something that you don't have. As I begin to look at this right here, as I begin to look at myself, and as I begin to look at what God has deposited inside of me, I'm like, God doesn't have to do anything for me. I just have to partner with what he's already done for me so that what he's done for me can now manifest through me into the world. And so I began to look at Scripture, and I said, God, what is, how, how are these things that you're speaking to me connecting to the overall biblical narrative? And he says, I want you to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, my original intent for man. Whenever you want to know what God thinks about a situation, you need to trace it back in Scripture all the way back to the, the first time he mentions it because that establishes his original design, his original plan, and what he wants to develop. When Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 is a radical statement, it says this, God created man in his image. Come on now. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Listen to this. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Let's read that again in case you didn't hear it. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. Right there. Right there you see what? You see God creating family. You see right there in the very first book, in the very first chapter, you see God's, God's avenue of, of multiplying his kingdom, God's avenue of reproducing his kingdom and his culture within the land was through the context of family. Wow. Wow. Did you hear what I just said? Amen. He says he created male and female, and then he blessed male and female and covenant with each other, and then he looks to male and female, and he says, now you go and reproduce. You multiply and fill the earth. Now, if they're made in the image of God, and they, and they are not born, listen, they were not made with a sinful nature. They were made with the nature of God. God's original intent was that through this context of family that his nature would be reproduced and born into the land. Okay, no, I'm thinking about his. Try this side. Did you hear me? And this is so simple, somebody has to help you complicate it. 
This right here is beautiful. You see right here that, that the kingdom of God, the culture of the kingdom, is the context of family. It is the culture of heaven is family. And so if we can't get along here, listen, we're not going to understand how to cooperate in his kingdom when it's fully established in our midst because the way God has designed it is that we're not actually strangers to one another. We're actually brothers and sisters. You know, there's one human race, right? There's one race. It's the human race. And so I think there are two perspectives that we're going to need to have if we're going to be able to establish family on this earth. The first perspective that we need to have is that we need to view ourselves as children children to a heavenly father. But then we also need to view others as fellow family members. We always have to begin with ourselves because... The, listen, the world is good at trying to pick the, 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 the plank out of your eye when the, they have the bigger plank in their own eye. The Bible talks about that, right? It's so much easier trying to get somebody else to conform when you're, one, when you're the one that's jacked up. Anyway. No, it's, it's best for us to start with ourselves, and, and we're not going to understand God's kingdom, and we're not going to be able to establish family if we don't even view ourselves as a son to a heavenly father. If we don't even see ourselves as belonging to God's family, if we don't even view ourselves as a son and as a daughter to God, then how in the world are we going to properly represent his context of family and properly represent his world to the rest of, uh, to the rest of creation? We're not going to be able to. That's why it has to begin with us. I'd even like to say it to you this way. When you look into the mirror, what do, you, what do you see when you look into the mirror? You see a reflection of yourself, right? Well, Jesus is the mirror that you look at to see the reflection of yourself clearly. Do you realize when Jesus walked the earth, he walked the earth in two different ways. He came to live for you, but then he came to live as you. That means he came to role model what a son looked like in relation to a father. He came in the form of man to redeem the purpose of man. He came in the form of a son to to let us see what the context of family looks like and what a relationship between a son and a heavenly father looks like. And so if I'm going to be able to establish family, if I'm going to be able to role model this, I have to view myself as belonging. Come on now. Every single one of you, you have a place at the table of God. Isn't that good? One of the things that frustrates me the most is when people come to church and they're treated in a way as if they don't have a place at the table of God. Are you guys with me or are you just bored? I mean, of course, I'm picking at you. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Wow. How do we imitate God? By looking to and through Jesus. If you want any understanding of God, you have to begin with Jesus. You can't start with God and try to find Jesus in the midst of it. No, you need to start with Jesus and then wrap your understanding of God around him because Jesus actually represented to the T the nature of God because Jesus is God incarnate revealing himself. You see? So if you want to know how God is, if you want to know about who he is as a father, you look at Jesus because Jesus, come on now, he reveals him to the T. And listen, I know you hear this all the time in this church because this is a good, healthy church. But we need to hear this again. 
I'm going somewhere. Don't, don't go to sleep before I get there. You see, we have to look to Jesus before we can look through Jesus. And we have to allow Jesus to become the mirror that we look at to see the reflection of ourselves clearly. Because the reality is, most of the time, when we look into the mirror, we're not seeing ourselves clearly. We're seeing ourselves in the reflection of all the lies we believed. But when you start with Jesus and you look at Jesus, how must know you're looking at what pure truth is. And when you look at what pure truth is, now you don't see yourself as you are. You see yourself as you were created to be. Man, when I look into a mirror, I'm like, man, Jesus looks good. He's a handsome guy. Like, I don't look in the mirror and get all depressed. You know, I look into the mirror, and I don't see the imperfections of flesh. I, flesh, I see the perfection of God's created hand in my life. Amen. And when I look into the mirror of Jesus, oh, man, this is some good stuff here. Man, listen, I'm here to tell you if, you, if you've been depressed, if you've been anxious, if you've been fearful, you need to go home right now. You need to look into the mirror, and you don't need to look for yourself. You need to look into the mirror, and you need to say, no, I'm looking at Jesus right now. I'm made in his image, and he didn't make anything faulty. He didn't make any junk. He didn't make anything to walk in depression and anxiety and fear. He made me to be holy and righteous. You need to look into the mirror, and you need to say these things until you believe it. Oh, my God. Katie gets it. I mean, just a few, just a few weeks ago, man, I, had to, I had to do that. I got up in the morning, and I, I just wasn't feeling it, and I just looked myself into the mirror, and I preached myself the gospel, and I preached myself until I was like, you know what? I'm Jesus again. I look like Jesus again, you know? This is what it takes. Let's turn the television off and get into the gospel of Jesus Christ and get into the word of God and stop allowing the TV to tell us all the lies in the Bible. Oh, man. I'm not trying to strip you of your entertainment. I'm just trying to get you free. See, you have to first look to Jesus so you can see yourself clearly, but then you have to learn to look through Jesus so that you can see the world clearly. Do you realize you, you do not see, generally see the world as it is. You see the world as it is through your lies and lens that you put on your own eyes. Do I need to say that again? You generally do not see the world the way it is. You generally see the world the way it is through the set of lens you put on your eyes to interpret life through. And so if you believed all a bunch of lies about yourself, guess what? You're projecting those same lies on the world around you. And you're interpreting your worldview, you're interpreting your life through these set of lens, through this set of lies that's actually causing you to pervert God's creation instead of renew God's creation. Whoo, man. C.S. Lewis made this powerful statement one time. He says, you know, I don't just believe in the sun, the natural sun, simply because I can see it. He says, I believe in the sun because by it I can see everything else. Wow. Man, I don't just believe in Jesus simply because I can see him. I don't just believe in the Son of God just because I can see him for myself. But I believe in him because by him, I can see everything else clearly. Not as it is, but as it was created to be. And when you learn to look through Jesus, you don't look at someone as a dirty, rotten sinner. You look at them as a fellow brother, a fellow sister. You don't look at them in their brokenness. You don't look at them in their bondage. You don't look at them in their hurt. You look at them as their created purpose and destiny and value and you say what you're not seeing yourself the way that I see you you're not seeing yourself the way God sees you so let me help you pull you into destiny wow you see when you begin to look through Jesus now all of a sudden the whole world begins to be a beautiful place if you look at the world right now and you don't see a beautiful place you're looking through the wrong set of lens Mm. 
some of the places that I go, some of the places I people around me are like, how in the world can you go to these stinking places like this? I'm like, what are you talking about? It's beautiful. I see it through the lens of Jesus. I see it through the eyes of the creator. And I see it as it was created to be the entire time. And my responsibility as a son is to renew that, is to awaken that place and to awaken that person and to awaken that region to the reality of the original design. Why do you think Romans chapter 8, verses 19, 20, 21 says, All of creation is awaiting for the revealing of the sons of God so that creation itself can be set free from its slavery, from corruption, into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Do you realize that's part of your mandate? To see the world as God created it to be, not as it is. Man, I hope this is helping somebody here. In Luke chapter 15, you have a parable, and it's a parable of what is called or referred to as the prodigal son, but I actually like to call it the parable of the loving father. The Passion Translation also says that because the reality of it is, is it's really not just about that son, it's also about that loving father, and it's also about his older brother. And in Luke chapter 15, you see God is restoring belief systems. Verses 1 and 2 in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is hanging out with sinners. He's hanging out with the broken. He's hanging out with people that actually needed help. And the religious people of the day were offended that Jesus was hanging out with these sinners. How dare Jesus hang out with people that need help? That's what they were thinking. Why is Jesus saying he's hanging around the wrong people? Why? Because they were viewing the world as a dirty, rotten sinner instead of their created purpose and destiny and value. So they weren't looking them as a fellow brother and sister they needed to restore and redeem. They were looking them as, a, as a someone they needed to stay away from, that they needed to separate their life from. And we're seeing that in this country today. The church is more and more and more hiding herself in a building instead of being becoming salt and light within society and we're saying no I need to separate secular from sacred and I need to build my own little world and my own little life because it's really about me and my salvation and my my goodness and I'm not really concerned about your salvation your mm -hmm. you hear me family No, God hasn't placed you here just for you. He has placed you here to be salt and light within the world. He has placed you here not to see people as they are, but to see people as they were created to be and to see them not as a sinner, but to see them as a fellow brother and sister. What does that reveal in Luke 15? It reveals that Jesus did not simply come to save sinners. He came to redeem lost children. Were you a sinner? Yes. Did you need a Savior? Yes. But the church still has a, 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 a saved sinner mentality. You're saved, but you still view, your, view yourself as a sinner, so you, so you still operate as an orphan. And we wonder why we cannot love people the way they need to be loved because we don't see ourselves as a son. We see ourselves as a saved sinner. God just somehow let me into the house and I'm still standing on the welcome mat and I don't feel like I have the right to explore his kingdom because I feel like an orphan so I don't even feel like I belong in the house of God. So why in the world, how can I going to properly minister to somebody else if I don't belong? So the only way that I can really find belonging is by separating myself from those people that I used to be and that I used to hang out with and separate myself from the world and call that Christianity. Do you realize when you separate yourself from the world, you actually give the devil purpose in the world? You actually give meaning to darkness. Do you realize by my personality, I, personality, I'm really an introvert, and I don't even like public speaking. 
I'd much rather go live in a cave and just be with Jesus and not be concerned about anybody else but just me and my relationship with God. I'd much rather, like Paul says, go and be with the Lord, but for your sake, I've decided to stay. For your sake, I've decided to go. For your sake, I've decided to get over myself. Because I love you. I don't see you as you are. I see you as you were created to be. I see you according to God's perfect design for you. Is this helping somebody in this room? Oh. I love the Bible so much because the Bible not only talks about us in this context, not only says that we're family, the Bible even takes it a step further. It says, not only are you family, not only are you brothers and sisters, you're actually part of the same body. Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 refers to us as the body of Christ, right? And it's many members that make up one body, right? One family. That is you and I. Do you realize that's how significant you are? You're so significant that the body of Christ is incomplete without you. But how the enemy has come to disrupt the body of Christ and disrupt this context of family is by developing a message of identity that's only focused on me. It's only focused on my individual identity. Listen, your individual identity will always be discovered within the context of the corporate identity of the body of Christ. You're thinking now, aren't you? It's not one or the other, it's both that. I need to understand my individual identity, but I need to, need to understand it is divinely connected to the entirety of the body of Christ, and that, is, and that is its proper context. Because God is not raising up individuals, he's not ra- raising up lone rangers, he is raising up a covenant body of people that live in community, that live in unity, and they live in safety. God is raising up a people that understand we're actually part of each other's very same body, and you actually complete me. You're not my competitor. You're the person that completes my anointing, that completes my function. Oh, man. You need to get this. Listen, you're you're so significant. Listen, my significance is divinely connected to your purpose in my life. I need you to be you so that I can be me. See, every single one of us is that connected. Every single one of us is that significant that the body of Christ, the family of God, is incomplete without you. And when you do not see yourself that way, when you do not realize you're connected to the body of Christ, what is literally happening is you're stripping the world of an aspect of God that nobody else can reveal but you. And so, therefore, we begin to paint a picture of Jesus that's an incomplete picture, and we share aspects of who he is instead of the fullness of who he is. See, when you think in the context of family, I don't see your anointing and think God somehow has taken my anointing away to give it to you. I actually understand your anointing causes mine to increase and my anointing causes yours to increase because I see the divine connection between your function and my function and how they work together, which causes the body to actually mature into the fullness of Christ so that the world is able to see what a family, healthy family actually looks like. But if I'm looking at you as my competitor, and if I'm looking at you in a sense of comparison, how many of us know comparison is the sacrifice of contentment? I'm no longer content with who God designed me to be because I'm comparing myself to you. Why? Because I'll, I'll often compare my weakness to your strength. Do you realize the desire to be someone else is a sin against your own design? Every single one of you is born an original, so do not die a copy. 
Because if you die a copy of somebody else, you can only become a cheap imitation of their function. Whoo, man. I'm preaching right here. I'll get worked up about it if you're not, you know. <laughs> I love this church, man. You guys are awesome. This is why everywhere that I travel, you'll notice I always address the crowd as family. That's the reason I do that. But not only we're family, we're, we're, we're one functioning body, and I need you to realize your significance, and I need you to be interconnected, and I need you to realize you complete me. Well, just picture it this way. If I, if I lose the function of my right arm, I'm going to know my left arm can actually operate in both functions, right? But if I lose the function of my legs, I don't have the ability within myself to fulfill that role. In the same way that if my right arm goes out, this arm's function now becomes divided in its function. Now it has to work and do things it was never designed to fully do. But if I become so dismembered and so disabled now that my body doesn't have the ability within itself to fulfill its role and function, what will happen is now artificial designs will come and fulfill its role. What am I getting at? We keep expecting the government to do what the responsibility of the church is. We keep wanting the government to feed the poor where God has actually placed us here to feed the poor. We want the government to clothe the homeless when we actually got us placed to church here to clothe the homeless. We want the government to take care of the orphans when God has actually placed the church here to take care of the orphans. We want the government to take care of the widows when God has actually placed the church here to replace. Oh. Now, obviously those things can assist, but they cannot produce kingdom. So what am I saying? If we keep allowing the body of Christ to be so dismembered, we're going to allow the world to replace the function of the church with artificial designs that do not produce life and do not bring biblical justice. It only perpetuates the evil agendas. My God. Do you know what biblical justice is? Putting things back to rights. That's justice. This is why us as a family is so important. I, I don't want to continue to see the world giving artificial replacements for the function of the church. Because the church is actually God's way of producing his kingdom. It's actually God's way of actually producing healthy culture, healthy society, healthy life, and true justice. Justice that doesn't see through the lens of agenda, but justice that sees through the lens of your created purpose, destiny, and value, and sees that things are out of order and sees now, how can I put that back to order in your life? How can I put that back to rights in your life? Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, it says, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers, listen to this, for the entertaining of the saints for the work of service. Is that what it says? It says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Listen to this. As a result of these things, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried out by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Listen to this. According to the proper working of each individual part that is you. 
That is your individual identity. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Wow. Wow. Says when we understand our each individual part and our each individual part is working according to its proper function, and then it causes the remainder of the body to actually mature and to become the person that she was designed to become. And I'm here to tell you, this is a sign of, the, of what Christ is going to come for, is a sign that he's coming back for a bride that's an equal proportion to who he is. Right now, he will be unequally yoked for her. It says when each individual part is working properly, it causes the, the body of Christ to grow up itself in love. Wow. I need you to be you so that I can be me. And I need you to understand I value you. You are so significant, it completes who I am. What are three practical ways that we can do this? I referenced them, community, unity, and safety. How can we begin to practically just reestablish family back in society? Number one is this. Community creates a place for people to belong. Whether we do this corporately or whether we do this individually, every single one of us can give people a place to belong when they're in our presence. You hear me? Everywhere that I go, I make sure that every single person that I talk to, that person knows that they're valued and they belong with me. I'm not going to put myself on some kind of a pedestal and say, well, you can't really talk to me because I'm here and you're there. No. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. and He came to give purpose and life to every single person. He came to give belonging to every single person. And everywhere that he went, every person discovered, I actually belong in this world. I, do, I minister all over the world now, and I'm in a lot of conferences, and I get to meet a lot of people. I'm here to tell you, not every minister the thought of me not giving someone my focus, my attention because of what they look like or what they may sound like or what they may it's demonic at its core. You belong and you belong with me. We're going to do this together. Which brings me to my second point is unity. Unity provides togetherness. Man, money cannot put a price on what it is to have someone in your life that you can depend on. To have someone in your life, you don't have to be concerned whether they're going to be there with you when all hell breaks loose. And some of you have been in a season, some of you have seen when circumstances came, when the wind began to blow, the people that you thought were with you were really your fake friends and they left you high and dry just as soon as all hell broke loose in your life. And all of a sudden, you also saw those people that were actually there with you, that actually gave you belonging, that actually told you, we're in unity and we're going to be this together because when you hurt, I hurt. And when you suffer, I suffer. And I'm not going to leave you. Because it requires some kind of sacrifice for me. If we're going to begin to restore society. If we're going to begin to restore family. These are some ways that we can do this. These are some ways that at my job, at my school, wherever I am, when people are in my presence and in our presence, we give them belonging and we give them unity. We give them togetherness and say, you know what? We may disagree on some things, but here, I'm here to fight for your life because I love you. All right. And then safety. You see, safety sees through the eyes of protection 
instead of exposure. What I'm saying is this. First Peter says, love covers a multitude of why does love cover sin? Not so that you can continue in it. The church is bought into that lie. Now we think that loving someone and covering their sins with our love is allowing their sin to thrive or allowing their sin to redefine who they are. No, you're not loving them. You're actually hating that person. No, love covers a multitude of sins so that you can deal with the sin under the protection of love. That people know, listen, I love you. I'm going to tell you the truth, but I'm first going to establish the fact that you belong with me, that, you, that we're together, and that you have belonging, and I love you, and I'm going to cover you, and I'm going to walk this journey with you, but I'm not going to agree with that sin because that sin contradicts God's word, and God's word says this about you, so I'm not going to sympathize. I'm going to have compassion. See, Satan wants you to sympathize with the world because he wants you to begin to think from their perspective. Compassion says this, I see your pain and I see your hurt and I'm, I'm going to join myself to you and I'm going to walk with you. But I'm not going to empower sin to kill you. I'm actually going to be truthful and I'm going to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ and I'm going to give you an opportunity to walk this out. And if you decide to break loose, it's not going to be on me. You hear me? These are just three practical ways that we can establish family, that we can begin to restore our society. The destruction of our society started years and years and years and years upon go. It started with subtleties. It started even with, just think of it this time, it starts with a sitcom that makes you laugh at sin so that now it becomes normal to your thinking so that now it can be redefined in your values. Satan can get you to laugh at something through entertainment that he can get you to agree with it with your belief system. I love you. That's the reason I'm willing to say this stuff. I don't get invited back to some, some places because of it. I know when I leave some places, the pastor's like, mm, thank you for coming. <laughs> I know I'm not going back to that one. <laughs> but I love you so much, I'm going to tell you how the, what the gospel truth is. I'm not going to word it down. I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to redefine it. And I'm not going to let the fear of man dictate the fear of the Lord. So I want to end in this way. I have to go get on a plane right now. <laughs> it'll hold. It'll wait for me. Amen. How about that? Amen. In Jesus' name. I want you to stand to your feet. If you've gone through any kind of struggle in the context of family or anybody that you know, well, there's been disunity. There's been hurt. There's been rejection. There's been isolation. See. This is the reality of it. We can start one person at a time, one day at a time. Just start that way. One person at a time, one day at a time. We didn't get to this point overnight. I want you to close your eyes and hold your hands out. Father, we just come before you today, God. Lord, we just ask that the wounds, the rejection, the hurts, everything that we have encountered and gone through because of 
dysfunction in family, Father God, that we present our minds and our hearts to you right now, God. We just ask that your blood will cleanse our emotions, cleanse our memories. I hear the Lord saying for some of you, I'm touching your memories associated to trauma right now. And I'm delivering you from that pain and the trauma of those memories. As a matter of fact, I command every lying spirit that's associated with those memories, associated with those traumas, I command you to be broken in Jesus' name. You've been exposed as a liar, and you have no authority to be there any longer because the blood of Jesus Christ has purchased their mind and purchased their emotions and purchased, purchased their memories, and now I command every lying spirit to be disconnected right now. I bless the marriages in here where there's places that's been communication issues. Yep, yep, particularly communication issues. God is moving on communication right now. And, and you need to know the enemy tries to come to spin that communication. And so the next time you see your talking, your conversation with your spouse beginning to be spent out of control, both of you stop and pray. And so I bless marriages and I bless communication in marriages right now. No more miscommunication. Proper understanding. No more assumptions of motives. I speak to those assumptions right now. Be broken. And for you that may have never had family your entire life, welcome to this one. Amen. So, Father, as we get ready to leave tonight, I just ask that you would fill us now with your spirit. <sighs> that we will go out into society with a new set of lens. The lens of family, the lens of brotherhood, the lens of community, unity, and safety that we see through these lens. In Jesus' name, amen.